0: Good morning, church. My name is Cody Heffron. This is my wife, Emily, and we are covenant partners here at First Pres, and we have the privilege of reading scripture this morning. This morning, we continue to celebrate the amazing love of God through studying the life of Jesus in Luke. Today's passage unlocks the power of freedom from the forgiveness of Jesus. The amazing love of our Father is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our Father is waiting for you to come to your senses, receive his forgiveness, return home to his embrace. Please join me in reading Luke 7:36 through 50. Awesome.
1: A sinful woman forgiven. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet and her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment." Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owned five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All flesh is grass and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field.
0: Amen. Thank you, Hefrons. How fun is that? If you have your Bibles, please keep them open to Luke chapter 7. We're going to unpack this narrative in several other places in scriptures. Yes, this is a stack of books that I will refer to uh, as we go through, um, but I want to point you to the, uh, a great application of what we're going to look at today in forgiveness in our uh, commitment card to, for our uh, prayer and fasting for the week. Uh, this week, we're choosing uh, to feast on the relationship we have with the Lord and how that uh, empowers us to move towards reconciliation in relation. Relationships uh, that may have grown cold or that may have been distant, um, and to feast on the community that we have as uh, as the church, as God's family, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, please uh, take advantage of this uh, opportunity. It's phenomenal. If you want to grow in being a praying church, uh, on Thursday during lunch, we just skip the lunch hour of eating, and we are meeting in the Guthrie Bryant Chapel to pray. We've had a great group. We're two for two in regards to tears. For weeks. So uh, I'm just saying I don't want to jinx us, but we might get that uh, authentic again this week as we feast on the relationship we have the Lord and He the ones He's called us to have with one another. So uh, a Praying Church would be the Paul Miller book that I would recommend for that. But we're going to talk about really feasting on the love of God through understanding more of how we've been forgiven. In the opportunities that we have to forgive. Um, the series is called The Amazing Love of God. We're looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And there is probably no greater portal, uh, invitation, window through which we can see the heart of our Father, the Father that stands waiting for all His children that have gone wayward. No matter what we've done or where we've gone, He longs for us to come to our senses, to return home to his embrace. And through the work of Jesus, we can come back into the family uh, and not with condemnation, uh, but with total forgiveness and reconciliation through Christ. So I had this random text this week from a pastor in Nashville. I literally haven't talked to this pastor in, I don't know, months and months and months. And he texted me one line. Here's this line. Learn from great forgivers. That's what it said. It just said, learn from great forgivers. He had no idea that this was the topic for the week, and he had no idea that that would set the trajectory of this week's sermon. So, thank you, Scotty. That's what I'd say. Um, <laughs> here's who we're not going to talk about when we learn from great forgivers. Taylor Swift, right? I mean, she's made millions off of, uh, off of not. I know it was like four Taylor Swifts ago. It was after country Taylor Swift and before like, the the. the Taylor Swift. But we're not going to talk about our modern superhero narratives where they are operating from a victim mentality um, as they seek justice. Uh, I know I'm going to hear about the Taylor Swift line later, so sorry. We are going to talk about uh, people like this. uh, Reverend Anthony B. Thompson. He's the pastor of uh, an AME church in Charleston, South Carolina. This picture right here, uh, this is the backdrop of my iPad. Every time I turn it on, I see this. I went to this church, and you remember uh, this pastor. He, his wife and eight other people had a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And a man came in named Dylan Roof. It's an African-American church. Dylan Roof was white. He still is white. And he went in there and they welcomed him. And after their welcome, he took out a gun and in cold blood, he shot everybody there. Later, we found out that Dylan Roof was intending to start a race riot in a city that is a powder keg for racial tension. But instead, Reverend Anthony felt that he was called on a mission of peace. In fact, his campaign of peace would be considered a victory because there was no race violence in Charleston. And in fact, the reverend's wife was one of the victims. And eight people that were killed in cold blood, they were also members of his church. And if you go back and watch this story from 2015, you will see that this verse from Ephesians 4 Thirty-two uh, is that not only on their wall of their church or was uh, but it's on the uh, it's lined on their hearts that we forgive as we've been forgiven and systematically when these families went up in front of roof during the trial they said we will never be able to have our loved one back the pain will never go away but because Christ has forgiven us, me, I forgive you. And I pray that you come to a realization that you need that forgiveness too. Here is what uh, uh, Anthony Thompson said. He says this. This is a quote from his book. He's got a book on forgiveness on this whole story. Forgiveness was not for Dylan. It was for me. He chose not to receive my forgiveness. When I chose to forgive... God gave me his peace. He did not say so that Dylan could be free, but he said, you forgive so you can be free. Learn from great forgivers. As powerful as this story is, I'm going to say it doesn't hold a candle to the forgiveness of the work of Jesus and the implication, the, the, the campaign of peace that it brings to people individually and to cultures. And it doesn't hold a candle to, to the freedom that Christ gives. So Anthony uh, Thompson felt the freedom of forgiving, even when it wasn't asked for, he had peace But more so, God gives us freedom in Christ to discover the humanity that he's created us for. Because we come to know the amazing love of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the problem. The church, Christians, are too much like our culture. And we don't experience freedom because we don't know forgiveness. We choose anger. We allow bitterness to come up in our heart. We're self-righteous and more judgmental of others. And we do not have such a deep identity rooted in the gospel. We don't give forgiveness. We seek retribution. And in the process, our marriages, our families, our society is being ripped apart and ruined from the inside out. But today, God's sovereign grace invites all of us to be restored by the amazing love of God that's seen through the work and the forgiveness of Jesus. Are you ready to unpack this passage with me? Before we study the word of the Lord, will you go with me to the Lord of the word in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, you tell us in your word, when you teach us to pray, that we are to forgive. forgive. You forgive us as we forgive others you give us the invitation to forgive as we've been forgiven. Holy Spirit, we confess, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Will you please give us a deep window into your love so that we might know the freedom that comes to the forgiveness of Jesus, we pray in your name. All God's people said, amen. So here's what we're going to see. A couple of things today. First is this story. There is this contrast that runs through the story. It's a contrast between a self-righteous people and a surrendered people. People who are surrendered to the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, each gospel has a story of a woman that comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. In Luke, he's focused on two things. One, forgiveness. Two, love. In the landing place of his uh, narrative, the way way he tells it, uh, is this. Do you love God? If you don't love God, do you know the forgiveness of God? If you don't know the forgiveness of God, then you cannot love God. That's pretty much where he lands it. And and, and the center, the focus of this, is this woman that comes into the home of, of Simon, who was a Pharisee. And the contrast is set from the beginning. You can see in verses 36 to 39, four times the word Pharisee is repeated. He went into a Pharisee's house. Simon was a Pharisee. Other Pharisees were here. And we know from studying Luke at this point that Pharisees were a people who prioritized cleanliness. They prioritized holiness so much so that they had the law that they sought to keep. And then they built hedgework around that law so that they wouldn't break the law. And they were super self-righteous in their implementation and execution of that because there was no way they were going to be unclean. And this Pharisee named Simon was having a banquet in his house. And we know it's a formal banquet, but how Jesus is described as reclining at the table, a formal banquet in a house like Simon's, we can assume that it was a nicer house to like uh, uh, most of the better off folks uh, back in the day, there would have been a courtyard in the middle with a U shape where the guests of the banquet would be leaning into the table. And here's how they would do it. They would actually be leaning on their left hand reclining. So their heads at the table and that they can talk and eat with their right hand and their feet would have been behind them. So all around this U shaped banquet table, which would have been a traditional format would be people's feet and the sandals would have already been removed because as was the tradition When you came to someone's house as a banquet, you wanted to be clean yourself, and so that when you walked to someone's house back in the day or rode your mule or horse or whatever, the only thing that really needed to be cleaned was your feet. So you would take your sandals off, you would get your feet cleaned, and and you would be anointed when you came in so that everybody smelled good, right? (laughs) This is a nice banquet, and back then they did not have uh, deodorant. All right? And so they wanted... Everybody to come in and feel comfortable with each other and with themselves. And so Simon uh, is having this banquet. It would not have been uncommon for someone that had a house with a courtyard hosting a banquet to have people coming in and out. Now, I don't understand that custom, but it was totally normal from what I read. I never went to one of these banquets, but this is what I understand. And so it wouldn't have been abnormal for, contrast, a woman to come in. Now, this woman, if you read the story we just did, she's described in two ways. One, she's not described as a Pharisee, she's described as a sinner. And two, she was called a woman of the city. It doesn't take a rocket science to know what a woman of the city is who is described as a sinner. More than likely, this woman was a prostitute who sold her body so that she could make a living. And while they were in that city, it's still Nain, where this section of ministry is happening. More than likely, she would have had some clientele who were some Gentiles and maybe even some people who were at this banquet. Because when she gets there, everybody knows who she is. She is a known woman of the city who was a sinner. She was very unclean. And the contrast between Simon the Pharisee and this sinner who comes in couldn't be more clear because she comes in and goes to Jesus' feet, who are behind him at the table, and she begins to weep. And her tears, this is what the Bible says, her tears actually washed Jesus' feet. And she took her hair, which was very countercultural. Jewish women needed their hair, braided in public, and put up as a sign of honor. She undid her hair and wiped Jesus' feet, and she took an alabaster jar, which shows, by the way, that she was successful in what she did. It was a nice jar that had handles and no top, a long neck. And so the way that you opened it, full of a very fragrant oil and perfume, was that you broke the neck off, something that would have been highly visible to every guest there. You took the oil out and she began to wash his feet and anoint him with oil. Now this is unbelievable. Everybody would have seen this as horribly erotic. Plain and simple. The picture of a woman with her hair down, washing someone's feet with her tears and oil in this in the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day. Goodness. And Simon is thinking something. He thinks this. Well, if, if this guy, Jesus, knew who this woman was, then he would surely not allow him to do that. Now, we don't know why Simon knows who the woman is, (laughs) but we see his judgment and self-righteousness through his thoughts, and this is powerful. The first time we hear Simon's name is from the lips of Jesus. Simon. Simon, he says. He feels the judgment. He feels the self-righteousness. And he goes straight to the point. Simon, can I ask you a question? I'm gonna tell you a story, actually. do not ask a question. He says, Simon, there's two people. Both of them owed a large sum of money. One owes 50 denarii. The other owns 500 denarii. The person that's owed the money forgives both people. Simon? who loves more? And Simon answers the obvious answer. Well, I guess the one who's forgiven more. And Jesus says, you're right. The one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus goes on to point something out. We haven't known this from the narrative so far, that when Jesus got there, he was the only one that didn't get his feet washed as was traditional custom for Jewish hosts of his day. Jesus didn't get anointed with oil when he came in like everybody else. He was kept at a distance. And Jesus says that this woman had played the role of hospitality and host and showing love and warmth and welcome when he actually never did. This woman showed love and Simon was self-righteously standoffish. Why? The story implies that Simon did not know the forgiveness of God. The person who is forgiven much loves much. But the person who is forgiven little has very little love. Could it be that Jesus is showing up in our lives? He's showing up in our homes, and our world, but we can't see him because we're so busy trying to self-righteously justify ourselves, trying to maintain our status. Isn't that what Simon really cared about? Everyone else's opinion, maintaining the, the integrity of his social status, that we're so concerned with that stuff that we're unable to humble ourselves and receive forgiveness. So the implication of that, because we're self-righteous and prideful independently, that we're not sharing and showing forgiveness that God gives, I'm telling you, this story exposes our poverty, our deficit in understanding forgiveness. God wants you to know his amazing love. And his love frees us to be honest where we have sinned and fallen short. We're free to stop self-justifying for minimizing and blaming others. We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus fully sees us. He fully loves us. And he completely forgives us. There is a substance of forgiveness that leads to freedom. We must receive the forgiveness that comes from God so that we can be free to know the love of God and to show the love of God. Um, We are a people bound by externally structured identities. We structure our identity on our status, our significance, um, uh, who we know, who knows us, who likes us. And the fruit of that is this minimizing, justifying and blaming that we do with our sin. But the gospel gives us a new identity as children of God. The spirit of God, says Paul in Romans eight fifteen and Galatians 4, 4, seals our adoption. And it's by that we cry, Abba, Father. Are you with me? And we can experience the depth of crazy love that God gives us in forgiveness. He has and he will forgive us through the work of Jesus. Look at a few of these just from throughout scripture. God removes sin as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. Psalm 103. God hides our sin behind his back, never to be seen again. This is an image that comes from the prophet of Jeremiah. God hurls our sin, says Malachi, into the depth of the sea. And Cory Tim Boom would, would add that he puts up a sign that says, No fishing. You're not getting them back. You can't keep bringing them up because there's no condemnation in Christ. God cleanses us from our sin. Though they were like scarlet, says a prophet Isaiah, we were made white as snow. God forgives us and purifies us from all unrighteousness, says the apostle John, because God paid the debt for our sins on the cross. The apostle Paul says that he became sin in his death so that we could become the righteousness of God. The one who was pure lamb, unblemished, unsinful, unstained, said on the cross as he paid for sin father forgive them for they know not what they do god forgives there's no more shame in christ there's no more condemnation there's no more judgment and here's the deal church my friend josh deconing he's a pastor at crossway church says it this way forgiveness is the doorway of the house if you, if you don't know forgiveness for your sins, you, you might, you're not in the family of God, but it's also the house that we live in. And so we don't just go through that into relationship with God. If we can't steward that forgiveness, then we're not inhabiting the fullness of the house of God. The ideal life that he has for us, the full humanity that he gives us and restores us to, that we can learn to love and, and forgive as we've been forgiven. So I want you to feel free to know God's love, but also feel free to show God's love. And we've got to learn from great forgivers, right? Because if you're like me, you're not good at forgiving. If you're like me, you're good at dwelling on how people have hurt you. If you're like me, then you go to bed at night and you're frustrated by pain and hurt. If you're like me at night, it's easier to harbor bitterness and anger and frustration at people who have hurt you and to look for retribution and vengeance rather than casting that all on Christ and understanding that he has forgiven me for far greater things. Paul says that I was a child of wrath, that I followed the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air. I gratified the desires of my flesh. I was an enemy of God. And he forgave me and made me family. If that's true, who am I to withhold forgiveness from anyone else? Who am I? I'm an arrogant, self-righteous, Simon-like, self-focused, self-preserving hypocrite. That's who I am. I want to be a surrendered, sinful woman of the city puts herself at the feet of Jesus knowing that she's been forgiven much so she can love much you want to know what that looks like here's a story you've heard of Rachel Denhollander she was one of the gymnasts that was sexually assaulted by Larry Nasser. she gave a deposition at the trial of Larry Nasser, and Rachel forgave her perpetrator horrible crimes against her she was one of 150 survivors of this man's abuse. And here's a direct quote from her deposition I pray you experience the soul crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience a true repentance and true fi- forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Rachel forgave because, as a Christian, she knew she had been forgiven. Did she allow justice to take its course? Yes, she did. Did she allow Nasser to go to prison? Yes, she did, and he should have. But you know what she did? She released herself from prison. The prison, the glass prison that comes when we withhold forgiveness, when we go through the doorway of forgiveness in a relationship in the house of God, but we don't steward that and show that forgiveness to others, It really reveals that we have a poverty, a deficit of knowing the depth of our father's love for us. And so we don't show it. It's easier just to talk behind people's back. It's easier to gossip. It's easier to think I'm better than everybody else who sins against me. That's just easier than actually living as a child of God receiving the forgiveness of God and glowingly showing the forgiveness of God to others? Or is it? I don't think it is easier. I go back to what Anthony said at the beginning, quote from this, that forgiveness for Dylan Roof, it was for him. Even though Roof didn't receive his forgiveness, <clears throat> he chose to forgive. And then God gave peace to him. So we want to learn from great forgivers. Uh, this book right here is a new book by Tim Keller, Tim Keller, I highly suggest you read this book if you struggle with understanding forgiveness. On page 10, he gives a description of forgiveness that I'm going to put on the screen, and it actually flipped the way that I walk with people. It's a really powerful definition for uh, one reason. Uh, It's the second one. But first, what does forgiveness look like? It's to name the trespass truthfully and the wrong and punishable and not merely excusing it. Don't justify it. Don't minimize it don 't shift the blame, name it it's a sin. Secondly, it's to identify with the perpetrator as a fellow sinner rather than thinking how different you are from he or she is and then it's to will their good. You see, there's no difference from me in the woman of the city who was a sinner. There is a level ground playing field at the foot of the cross. We all need forgiveness. And to really forgive somebody is we have to identify with them in that need and to be extend their good. Three, release the wrongdoer from liability by absorbing the debt oneself rather than seeking revenge and paying them back. Four, it's the aim at reconciliation rather than breaking off the relationship forever. Keller says that each of these components is vital. If you omit any of these four actions, you are not engaging in real forgiveness. You see, Uh, Another book I would recommend um, is Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. This is a phenomenal book. I mean, a phenomenal book. Um, It's a huge tool. Uh, And then this book right here is a workbook that we use in uh, our Any Woman Can Clinic uh, for people that are struggling and receiving forgiveness and being free. This is specifically um, for uh, people that have uh, difficulties forgiven in in the abortion relation um, category. So here's the deal. Forgiveness, we talk about it, points to the, the greatest forgiver. We want to celebrate people that give forgiveness, that show great forgivers. We can't do so uh, more so than Jesus. Isn't that exactly how he loved this woman? He named the sin. It was no secret this woman was a sin. He didn't minimize it, he didn't justify it, he didn't move it to the side. And then the cost was absorbed. He didn't expect her to pay her debt. He absorbed it. And he did this because he went to the cross himself. Though he was in the form of God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death. He made death on a cross. And on that cross, he who knew no sin became sin so that all who believe can become the righteousness of God. And through that, we have this new identity. We are children of God, new creations in God who have given, the, by what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the purpose of God to be ministers of reconciliation. His ambassadors by which we make an appeal be reconciled to God. Amen. That is who we're called to be. According to scripture, we can receive it or reject it. I'd encourage you to receive that invitation. But Jesus, then he's very clear. He releases her from the wrong of any liability, absorbs the debt himself. And then his aim is for reconciliation. He loves. Now, here's the truth, church. There's so many misunderstandings of forgiveness. Yes, there are consequences and casualties to sin. Yes, there are things that will take months and even years to rebuild trust and relationship. We can forgive like the gymnast did and still allow consequences to come. But we cannot let a misunderstanding of forgiveness Rob us from the opportunity of the freedom that God gives us through his amazing love. You are so loved by God. You, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we were children of wrath and following the prince of the power of the air, that's what Paul says, dead in our trespasses and sin, we were made alive together with Christ. He took your sin, the penalty that we deserve to pay for our sin, and he defeated it, and he disarmed Colossians 2. He disarmed all the authority and the power of the enemy. How did he do this? No matter what you've done or where you've been, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation in Christ. Your sins, though they were like scarlet, you've been made white as snow. You've been born again to this new righteousness and given his spirit. Buried with Christ in his death. Raised with Christ in his resurrection. So that you can walk in a newness of life. This invitation for intimate relationship with him. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the invitation that God gives his people. From his love. That you could know his love. And be at peace in his love. So that you can go and show his love. In a world that is fracturing. And being ruined Because of the choice to remain angry and bitter and rageful and other choices of the flesh. Be free. Receive his love so that you can walk in freedom and invite others into that reality. (laughs) It's fun. Let's pray. Lord, wow, thanks for your word. Thank you that there's level ground at the cross. There's nothing that we can do uh, that we have done that cannot be forgiven by Jesus. And there's so much love that you don't want us to miss through the cross. Lord, I ask that you would work mightily by your spirit to bring these truths home. Thank you that we can learn from great forgivers. But more than that, thank you that we can experience the grace of the greatest forgiver. In his name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.